Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. Perhaps you've heard this quote from former First Lady Rosalind Carter. There are only four kinds of people in the world. Those who have been caregivers, those who are caregivers now, those who will be caregivers, and those who will need caregivers. She's talking about the indisputable fact that we all will get older. And with our advanced age, the need for a caregiver is a very real possibility. It's a gigantic responsibility to give care. And many times the caregiver is a family member and they take on the challenge of looking after a loved one daily. And the costs of care, as the costs of care rise, how are people who are primary caregivers making it work? How and where do they receive help? Later this hour, we'll talk with professionals, advocates, and family members about what it's like to be a full-time caregiver. But first, Tennessee ranks among the worst states in the nation when it comes to deaths associated with childbirth. Why? And what's being done about it? Joining me now is WPLN healthcare reporter Catherine Sweeney. Catherine, good to see you. Welcome back. Thanks, Cleo. So give us some context here. What is maternal mortality? Yeah, I think that that turn of phrase can be a little bit confusing. I think we think about what we see in the movies or in books from the 1800s, you know, a mom dying during childbirth. But it's actually a little bit more complicated. Um, it, it, it includes anybody who dies of some pregnancy-related condition within a year of childbirth. So that can be somebody who had um, an infection from giving birth and they died a few months later, or they had some severe substance abuse issues tied to postpartum depression and they died a few months later. Um, so it, it's a full year out and it's kind of just this very complex, difficult problem that we're facing, especially here in Tennessee. How did this become a problem in the United States? Yeah, so like any public health issue, there's so many factors going in. And also this one, it's still a bit of a mystery. I mean, there are tons of research papers coming out all the time. There are maternal mortality review commissions like there is here in Tennessee. Um, but yeah, so a lot of places, one of the big issues, and Tennessee deals with this, there are large swaths of rural areas with no maternal care. So people have to drive, you know, 60, 70 miles. They won't do that um, if they don't have the resources. There are people who don't have health insurance. Um, we have a lot of mental health struggles here in Tennessee, and that can really contribute to um, some life-ending conditions for people who give birth. Talk to me a little bit about how this became a problem in Tennessee specifically. Yeah. So Tennessee, I mean, again, they're one of the top um, states for it. And one of the big factors in maternal mortality is, um, you know, racism in healthcare or, you know, racist obstacles to healthcare. So um, it's pretty well established that black women face the highest rates of maternal mortality. Unfortunately, that gap is closing in Tennessee. Um, the Journal for the American Medical Association uh, found that, yeah, the gap is closing, but it's not good news. It's not because fewer black women are dying. It's because more white and Latina women are dying. Um, that's one of the studies that came out this summer. 
Um, a different one, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention issued a new paper last week. It looked into maternal mistreatment. So um, that's the idea that mistreatment in a healthcare setting likely comes before someone dying from a childbirth-related complication. Um, Dr. Wanda Barfield, the reprodu reproductive health director for the CDC, kind of explained what mistreatment was here. When we talk about mistreatment, we're talking about receiving no response to requests for help, being shouted at or scolded, not having their physical privacy protected, and being threatened with withholding treatment or made to accept unwanted treatment. Yeah, so it found that overall about one in five Americans who gave birth experienced some form of mistreatment, but the rates were significantly higher uh, for, for patients who um, were black or Latino. It was about one in three for them. Um, it also found that people with either Medicaid, so here that's 10 care, or no insurance reported significantly higher rates of mistreatment. All right, so what's being done about it? Yeah, um, so it, it, there's a lot of things. There's research going on. One of the big things that um, actually Kamala Harris, the vice president, was tweeting about this week, um, some states, including Tennessee, have extended Medicaid coverage for people who give birth. So under normal Medicaid or TennCare um, years ago, that coverage would just drop off. 60 days after they gave birth. And like I said, the hypertension, substance abuse, infections, hemorrhaging, all these things can happen after 60 days. So Tennessee is one of a few states that have expanded that out to a year. I do need to note that Tennessee is one of only 10 states that have not expanded Medicaid. So Medicaid expansion basically opens it up to more low-income working adults. Um, so we in Tennessee allow people who are pregnant to have that coverage, but we don't let them before they get pregnant. And that does kind of lead to some worse outcomes. Um, but also, like I said, Tennessee has a maternal mortality review commission, and um, they made a lot of recommendations in a recent report. They overwhelmingly focused on mental health. So we heard throughout the special session over just the past few weeks, there's this dire need for mental health services in Tennessee, um, and it's unmet. So they pitched a lot of ideas to try to get that fixed. Um, it looks like they're going to be put off for a while, but they did. Lawmakers did agree to route about $50 million out of TennCare and into community health centers across the state, community um, mental health centers across the state. But that's just for one year. All right. Catherine Sweeney is WPLN's healthcare reporter. You can find the link to her story on this episode's web post at thisisnashville.org. Catherine, thanks for being here. And as always, thanks for your reporting. Great. Thanks for having me, Khalil. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll learn what it's like to care for an aging adult and meet a mother and daughter who will share their experiences. Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Kulona, and this is Nashville. Caring for an aging adult is not easy. For one, it's a responsibility to ensure that their health and well-being is maintained. There's also a huge time commitment. And if you work full time, you get where I'm going. And often the people who take on the role of being a full-time caregiver are family members, a daughter, 
son, or sibling? How do they get it done? How do they balance their new responsibilities with their own life? My next guests are here to share their experiences. I'd like to introduce Janet Olson of Nashville. She's joined by her daughter and caregiver, Heather Bogdell. Janet, Heather, thank you both for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. Thank you. This is wonderful. How are you both doing today? Fine. We're yeah. well. We're well. Beautiful. This is wonderful to hear. Now, Heather, you're the full-time caregiver for your mom. How would you describe your overall experience? I'm incredibly blessed. Mm. Mm. She's an amazing individual. And I am fortunate to have so much support that is not common for many people. Both my, my husband, my family, my sister, my companies that I work for are so supportive of mom and me and what it takes to be her caregiver. And she's very understanding and graceful when I screw up. Mm-hmm. That's important, right? I mean, so, Janet, how are things working out for you? Working out very nicely, and um, I'm glad she's very graceful Graceful when I screw up because I do it well. <laughs> so so would you, you would say your daughter's doing a good job? She's doing a very good job. Okay. Can you tell us, Heather, you know, briefly, or just tell us the story of how you became your mother's caregiver? So my mom was diagnosed with dementia in 2016. She and my dad were living down in Maryland, and it it was something that kind of came out of the blue for us. I mean, it really shouldn't have. Um, We should have, my sister and I really should have seen some of the signs that, that came with all that. But 2016, she was diagnosed. 2017, we all agreed that it was best for her and my dad to move closer to one of us, either me or my sister, in Michigan. And my dad had lived in Michigan and said, let's move there. So end of 2018, they ended up moving up to Michigan, stayed with my sister for six months. That did not go well. Hmm. Um, my dad was a big man with a big personality. He wanted his own his own space. And they ended up moving into their own house about 45 minutes away from my sister, where she was still going back and forth, trying to help with health issues and, and all sorts of things. So my dad had his own health issues, but at the same time was taking care of my mom. So end of 2019, they come down for Christmas. My mom and dad come to my little house in Nashville just for Christmas. They're going to leave right after the new year. My dad ends up in the hospital. Hmm. Diverticulitis. Stays a week. We get him out. He has a stroke. Hmm. Ends up in the hospital again ends up in long-term care that doesn't last very long. He ends up passing away in January 2020. So here's my mom. She came for Christmas. She's now in my house. Wow. <laughs> We're trying to, you know, she's lost, she's lost her partner. She's lost her caregiver. She's lost everything that she knows. And so my sister and I started talking. We're like, what are we going to do? We're going to, you know, we're trying to figure out her own place, you know, back with Holly, stay with me. And my husband said the nicest thing he has ever said in his life, which is, why doesn't your mom just stay here? Mm. How'd that impact you when your husband said that? I just wanted to sit on the floor and cry. it, It solved so many instant problems. But then you look at it and you're like, I, this was not what I had ever anticipated. We had never even considered this. It was always, 
this understanding with my sister that they would, my mom and dad would be better with her. They have a bigger house. They have a better schedule. They have less kids. They have less dogs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There were just so many things that you look at that on paper looks like mom should be with Holly. And yet when she came to our house with crazy kids and crazy dogs and a 60-hour work week for me and multiple jobs and my husband and a tiny house in Nashville that she didn't know very well, and yet we made it work. Well, Janet, tell me, how did you feel when you first arrived at, at, at Heather's house? Well, first of all, I wasn't planning on staying very long, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I always like to come and visit them, but... You do what you have to do, even though you're old and you should be able to do just whatever you'd like to do, but it doesn't always work out that way. Mm-hmm. And I'm very happy that I'm here. Yeah. Except that it doesn't snow. No. And if it does, the snow is gone pretty quickly. <laughs> But I think the first year you were here, we had a massive snowstorm, and that was her fault. Okay. <laughs> that was all her. <laughs> it's nice to have, a, I mean, being from Maryland myself, it's nice to have a little snow to remind you of the seasons, and you can have a, a winter wonderland of sense. Okay, so, you know, you both spoke a little bit about the best parts of, of, of being your mom's caregiver and the patience that you both have for each other. I can see it right here. Tell me about the challenges, Janet. What's been the hardest part of everything? The fact that I can't just pick up and go wherever I want to, when I want to. I'm When I was living by myself, I could do what I wanted to do, and I still had a car. Mm. So if I wanted to go to the mall, I went to the mall. And if I wanted to go work theater, I could go work theater. Mm-hmm. So... Just the fact that I can't do exactly what I want to do when I want to do it is the only problem. Yeah. I understand that you go to 50 Forward to meet and hang out with other folks, right? That's true. What do you enjoy about spending time there? I'm with other people. I I was a, an art teacher for 35 years, and I'm used to being around people constantly, even though they were only this high. Mm-hmm. And... Just being around people is the biggest help to me rather than sitting at home. I can entertain myself all right, but I'm much happier being with people. Yeah. Heather, what are what are some of the challenges that you've had to overcome? Trying to find balance in everything. Balance with um, my schedule, my work schedule, home schedule, mom, um, making sure that she's taken care of because ultimately, and my boys and my daughters in Maui, but my boys were still home and my husband and the dogs. Um, I always include the dogs. She loves the dogs. Um, (laughs) Always knowing that mom comes first because mom, mom needs the most help. The boys, if it comes down to it, you can take care of yourselves. My husband, I know you can handle this. You're a big guy. Mm -hmm. Mom can't. She needs me. She needs me like I needed her when I was younger. So I've got, it, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're tired, if you're done, if you've just had, you have to step up and say, I've got to do this. Mm-hmm. This is what we have to do because ultimately I want her to have the rest of her years living her very best life. It, it seems like, you know, and I know this a little bit personally, the nature of your relationships 
have changed yes. with with your mother. Yes. Look, there's just just over the weekend, I was talking to one of my parents who had an incident where they were at the hospital. They didn't tell any of their children, and I find this out two weeks later. I'm like, why didn't you tell us? Please give us this information. And 40 years ago, it was that parent telling me to do my homework and to give tell them information. And now here the roles are reversed, and I'm telling my parents, right. hey, you have to do your homework and let us know. How talk to me about, about the nature of your relationship and how it's changed to, you know, no longer being the child who's dependent upon the parent, but the child who is taking care of the parent. And sometimes that's really hard. There are times when I want to be able to go to mom and say, I've got problems with the kids. I've got problems with this. And it's it's just not the same. There's not the same confident help that I would normally be able to expect. But she is just she's softer than she had been in in a in a wonderful heart way. Mm. Um, we get to go on adventures together that otherwise we never would have. Um, I think she respects me as a mother and as a woman, and she tells me all the time, thank you so much for everything you're doing. So she recognizes it. And there are times when I am not my best person. And again, she grants me a lot of grace because I don't always get it right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, Janet, you know, you talked about, you know, losing a lot of the independence that you had before and how you really missed that. Has that been difficult in this change of roles, in the relationship you have with, with not, not only Heather, but your other daughter as well? Not so much as what I can no longer do that I used to do. Hmm. I worked a lot of community theater. And, you know, I'd get in a car, go work, go work a show, come home. I can't do that anymore. Yeah. And I can't do some of the other things I did. I... I can't make big messes at home like I used to. I was an art teacher, <laughs> okay. and I used to make dreadful messes at home sometimes, <laughs> getting stuff ready for the kids. I have enough respect for them that I won't do some of the things I used to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, hey, what about putting on a performance or a production at 50 Forward? I've thought about that. I've thought about maybe we could get a couple of playbooks and maybe just read it for each other, get up and read the, sh the play for each other. Yeah. And I think there's some people besides me that would enjoy doing that. Yeah. From 50 forward to Broadway, right? Right. That could totally work. Maybe now you... I'll settle for community theater. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. And I will say that was a huge part of my mom and dad's life and my, and my life growing up. And I know that that's hard for her. Not having and not having the friends that she had, both in Harrisburg and in Columbia, Maryland, she had a group of friends. You know, she had her tribe, and even moving up to um, Michigan and then coming here, she just didn't have that. And it makes an older adult's world very small, and very and can be very lonely. Um, she was very quiet when she first, even the past couple of years before she came to live with me, she had gotten very quiet, very, very um, drawn in. And I will say that 54, it especially has made a huge difference in the fact that this woman will now talk with anybody. Mm -hmm. She will tell you anything. Mm -hmm. And that 
Although sometimes it frightens me. I was going to say, sometimes she wishes I wouldn't tell her anything. Just go sit down somewhere. Those stories about high school, huh? Right. But, but she is, she's blossomed again. Mm. And, and I think she's happy again. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour about being a caregiver for aging adults. You can send us your comments at This Is Nashville. Now, I'd like to introduce my next guest, Grace Sutherland-Smith. Is the executive director of AgeWell Middle Tennessee? Grace, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. You just heard a little bit about the experience of Janet and Heather. How does their story compare to other experiences you've encountered in your work? You know, every family caregiving situation is unique, um, but what what resonates with me is that the caregiving sometimes can be long distance, and then you have to make decisions about whether you continue to care long distance or move your parent or in-law closer to you. Um, sometimes your parent may be down the road. Um, and so, but the, the thing that we're seeing more and more is more of us are becoming caregivers for aging loved ones. Mm -hmm. Um, And certainly the demographics of our country suggest that as baby boomers grow older, 10,000 baby boomers are turning 65 every day in our country now through the end of this decade. And so it's no surprise that there are 42 million caregivers across the country now caring for an older adult. Mm. One million here in Tennessee. So um, this is becoming more common conversation mm-hmm. uh, among among friends, uh, among family. I've definitely had those conversations with my friends and peers, my siblings, and I have had those conversations and my friends and peers were growing to have those conversations yes. as well. Now, you know, we understand that caregiving is a hard job. It takes a lot of time and a lot of energy. What does AgeWell do to help people here in Tennessee who are caregivers? We are a 501c3 nonprofit that serves 13 counties here in Middle Tennessee. We offer a helpline for older adults and family caregivers who are looking for services in the community. Uh, We also offer a new program called Elder Care Coach, which is designed to improve support for family caregivers. And they can schedule a 30-minute phone consultation with a geriatric care professional to get help figuring out what their best options might be and where they can find assistance. We offer a directory of services, which is a wonderful resource guide available at all the public libraries. And one thing we found over time is caregivers were starting to tell us, I love this book, but I don't know where to start. I don't know what I need. I don't know where to find the help. And so that is why we created Elder Care Coach to be an added layer of support when a caregiver needs to talk to somebody who's knowledgeable and help them figure out what their options are and what to do next. We'll meet one of the Elder Care Coaches a little bit later on in the show. Now, caregiving, we also know it comes with a heavy financial burden. How do you help people out with those? That's a good question because a lot of caregivers, I think the statistic that AARP has shared is that um, in a typical year, a caregiver of an aging adult will spend at least $7,000 of their own money in providing assistance. And, and that can vary, but that's, a, that's an average. 
We, when people call us and they're needing financial assistance, we refer them to United Way, to the Financial Empowerment Center, other resources that we're aware of. If there are uh, tax benefits, we try to advise them of, the, of that. Uh, there are some public programs through the Area Agency on Aging that provide assistance with respite care so it can help pay for an adult day program help pay for a caregiver coming into the home to provide some assistance. The Tennessee Respite Coalition is a wonderful resource for supporting caregivers with respite. So a lot of what we do is connecting people with the help and the resources that are available. Heather, how do you balance the financials, the finances, pardon me, for taking care of your mom? We're really fortunate because my mom was a teacher and my dad was retired army. So she receives uh, pensions from all of those things, and they cover the costs of her going to 50 forward, her having a storage unit with all of her stuff. Um, but I look at that and say, I would rather have her in my house, and I would rather have her going to adult day services than take that money and put her in an assisted living facility. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not sure that what she makes would cover the cost of an assisted living facility. And I'm not sure that she would get the care that she would need. I, she said to me before, you're just going to send me to the home. And I was like, no, mom, we tried that and it didn't work. And then we laugh. Um, she would waste away in there. She, she needs somebody to say, come on, Janet, let's do it. Or uh, give me that colored pencil or I want to color with you. She needs somebody she needs that interaction mm -hmm. and i and so we're fortunate that we have the ability to pay for the things that she needs and that she is where she is right now and and i just pray that she stays this way as long as she possibly can mm. you know I, I was thinking janet that you know you you moved in with your your daughter and her family and you, at the time, you had two of your grandsons, two of your three grandkids were in the house with you. What was that like, being there to be with your grandsons a little bit on a daily basis? Well, I enjoyed it because I was a teacher and I was used to kids. And if they did things, well, yeah, you're going to do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and if it isn't something that'll hurt somebody else, we can live with it. Yeah. Yeah, give you a chance to get closer to him. Right. And for not only for you to know them, but them to know Grandma a little bit better, right? Yeah, I know that Grandma was not just somebody who sent Christmas presents and showed up for Christmas <laughs> vacation. Mm -hmm. She had a full life herself. <laughs> and, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about how kind of hard it is to accept, you know, a loss of independence and being cared for. What advice do you would you give to anyone who's getting older about, being open to receiving care? Well, you get to a point, especially if you're living by yourself, which I was, which I didn't have a car and I couldn't go anywhere and do the things I had done. And I did not like living in a house all by myself and not being able to go anywhere and do anything. Mm -hmm. I did go to adult daycare because the bus picked me up and the bus brought me back. But it's so much easier living with someone who's willing to drop me off at daycare in the morning. And if I really make a fuss about going to the mall, well, let me go to the mall. <laughs> what do you like to do at the mall? 
not shop a lot because I don't have a lot of money, but I like to walk and walk around and watch the people and look at all the stores. Mm-hmm. Now, Heather, what would you say to someone who's struggling with the decision to take care of their one of one or both of their parents? That's a really good question. Depends on the day. It, it kind of <laughs> really? does. Really? But it but you're never going to regret it. Mm. You're never going to regret it. Uh, there is not a moment that I would change. And when when it's time for mom to not be with us, I will never feel badly that she was here with us. I will never regret the time that we've had together. I mean, some amazing adventures beyond Disney, which Disney is a yearly thing for us. Okay. The woman still can walk through Disney. I'm impressed. Um, But the time that we had together is just precious. I mean, COVID was an awful thing, but mom and and our family had six months together where we were in the house together all the time. Mm -hmm. Completely different dynamic. That's the one advantage that I had was that we had six months while I was working remotely trying to find our way. It wasn't like I was having to go into the office every day. If Things would definitely have been different if I had been working the three jobs that I was working at the time in person and trying to balance mom. Having all of us there together, being forced to work at home, gave us a, a little bit of kind of a slide into how is this going to work. You know, we talked a little bit about the nature of your relationship changing, but watching you two, seeing how you talk about each other and to each other and with each other, it's a, it's like you're more than mother or daughter. It's like you're friends. Has this... She's a hoot. Really? Has, has this, has, has, has becoming, you know, your mother's caregiver or receiving care from your daughter... Has it really enhanced the friendship between both of you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. A lot of people don't get that. No. No. Yeah. And I know that different... Don't don't look at me like that. Don't give me those teary eyes. Um, <laughs> I know a lot of older adults don't necessarily get nicer in their older years. Sometimes they get crankier. We're really fortunate that she's the really happy kind. <laughs> <laughs> so I get to be the cranky one. But, I mean, she's an amazing woman. She was she was a rock star mom taking care of me, you know, my, my sister, my dad, full-time teacher, taking us to orchestra, to band, to swimming, to everything, doing all of these things, you know, getting us off to college, still supporting us, watching over us, helping us with, with our kids and our decisions. And so... When she needs help, how can I not? Mm. How can I not do for her what she did for me? Yeah. Seems like you both are really proud of each other. We are. After her teenage years, she has really... (laughs) I knew she was going to say, I told you she will talk to anyone. She will tell them anything. This has been an absolute pleasure. I want to thank both of you for being here. Thank my guests, Janet Olson and her daughter, Heather Bogdell, for being with us today. Really appreciate it. And Grace Sutherland-Smith will stick with us through the break. When we come back, we'll learn more about the challenges that come with being a full-time caregiver. And money is only one of the obstacles. You can join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back.
I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Today, we're talking about giving care for aging adults. When an adult child has to become the primary caregiver for a parent, it can create stress and difficulty. People have to completely change their lives, and the adjustment can be hard for both the caregiver and the person receiving care. But there are organizations that are helping caregivers. We'll hear from some of them soon, but first, I'd like to introduce my next guest. I'd like to welcome Deanna Walker, who is a caregiver for both of her parents. Deanna, thank you for being with us today. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you so much for having me. So you're the caregiver for both of your folks, mm-hmm. but your parents are divorced. Yes, totally. <laughs> Let me ask you first, how are you getting any rest? Ah. Oh. I mean, the only way I can get any rest at all is because I have just a truly amazing husband. Some, you know, Heather was talking about her husband. I have a husband who's an incredible partner with me. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's really like, I feel like it's whack-a-mole, you know, all the time. Like, I get a call from this parent and there's this situation. Like, yesterday morning, my dad was really having a hard time with physical therapy and like he's not r- usually aggressive but all of a sudden he was aggressive with a physical therapist and then I'm talking to my mom and I'm asking her um I, I'm asking her certain questions about what she can do but she's having a hard time remembering what we were just talking about and mm. anyway I felt like yesterday morning was just a really typical roller coaster. You know, it started one way, it went another way. I'm answering this call. I'm talking to this person. Is my mom taking her medication? You know, and I'm not sure if she is. And I know for sure she's not wearing her hearing aids. And I better run over to her house because she hasn't answered the phone in four hours. You know, yeah. It's just, that's a lot. I a mean, lot. you have your own home, mm-hmm. and then both of your parents have their own homes. You're constantly running between the three places all the time. Well, we put, to, yeah, I am constantly running between the three places all the time. And particularly, particularly with my father, with Rebecca's help, I got, um, I finally um, moved my dad to assisted living to a place that's about three minutes away from us. And so, it hasn't really changed the dynamic in terms of how much time I spend with him every day. It just lets me sleep better at night because I know that if something bad happens, he's going to be all right. Now, you mentioned that you reached out for help. Mm-hmm. Who'd you reach out to? Well, I, you know, I finally, and I will just say this, it took me way too long to get to the end of my rope. It took me way too long to think that I could just keep doing that by myself. Like one day I was just like, I got to get some help. I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to keep going. And I just Googled elder care resources in Nashville and Agewell, Tennessee popped up and there was a thing that said elder care coach. And I was like, wait, there's an elder care coach, Hmm. you know? So I immediately made an appointment and then Rebecca reached out to me and she was so helpful. And at that time, uh, I wasn't, I I wasn't thinking that I was at all ready to put my dad in assisted living. Instead, what I was thinking was like, how do I get him into some like 50 forward type things? Or how do we try to get some extra caregiving support? You know, just what's out there. And so she sent me a huge list of, you know, after we talked, she had really taken amazing notes. And she sent me a huge list about like home monitoring systems, about, um, you know, resources out in the world, where we could go, what we could do, and um, and and also resources for me, which I did not take advantage of. Like, mm. 
you know, Alzheimer's, uh, Alzheimer's organization that where you could have there were Zoom meetings for caregivers. I didn't take the time to do that for myself hmm. <laughs> because it seemed like there yeah. wasn't any time for that. But I did get some caregiving going and uh, we were able to last maybe another year, year and a half okay. before before it became really obvious that my dad actually needs to be in assisted living. And I then I reached back before we did that. I reached back to Rebecca and just checked in with her and said, how can you help me with that? Like, what do we need to do now? And she connected me with several several really key resources that were pretty life-changing. Mm-hmm. Susan Nichols at Care Patrol met with me, and she is sort of like, she describes her work as being like a realtor for assisted livings. Like, she will take you to different places. Mm-hmm. She'll help you ask questions. She'll sit in meetings with you. She'll help you ask questions that you wouldn't think to ask. She gave us a lot of preparatory materials so that we would go in kind of being ready to ask the right questions. And and then when we leave the meeting, she'd say, well, what about this? And, you know, she'd really help us. And she didn't seem to be preferential toward any particular place. She was just helping us try yeah. to figure out what was best for us. Getting all the information. Yeah, yes. that's important. Now yes. let, let's meet the person who helped you out initially. Rebecca Red is a geriatrics, geriatrics professional and elder care coach with Agewell Middle Tennessee. Rebecca, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Okay, so elder care coach, that's a very unique title. Yes. <laughs> Tell us more about what elder care coaches do. I guess it's called a coach because I kind of lead them to to finding the help that they need. So it's a really great process because you can go on the website um, and fill out just a little bit of information about yourself, who you're caring for, and what's going on in your situation. So I have a little bit of information before I even talk to you on the phone. Um, I know where you live. I know the zip code. So that helps me know resources. And so when I call you, I try to make it as comfortable as possible, just showing that I care. I want to know more about your situation. Tell me how I can help you. What would make your life easier? Thank you for reaching out. This is great. I mean, so many, like you said, um, take too long to ask for help. Mm -hmm. So um, I really enjoy it because I get to know these people who are trying to do the right thing and they just don't know where to go or where to get help. So um, it's just a wonderful resource. And do you, main, do you maintain long-term relationships with the folks who call you? I, I reach out. I give them the opportunity. I leave it up to them. Okay. Some people are just so busy. I understand. But I do say I'm here if you need me again. And so I was so glad when Deanna reached out to me again because I remembered her and I remembered her situation. And I knew, you know, this is great because this just shows how things change over time. Your needs change. And I was glad to be able to help her again um, kind of switch gears and try something different. So, um, yeah, I leave it up to them. How many calls do you get in the average week? Uh, right now it's just a few. It's probably about three. Uh, it's a new program. We're trying to get our, our name out there. Okay. okay. <laughs> so I would love to be busier. So yeah. hopefully more people will learn about it and, um, use us more. Well, the need is going there. And Agewell Middle Tennessee Executive Director Grace Sutherland Smith is still with us. Thank you again, Grace, for being here. Now, you mentioned the list a little bit earlier, but, you know, we're all getting older. It means our parents are getting older. You have something called the 40-70 rule. Tell us about that. 
Well, I did not come up with that, but that is um, generally understood that if you are in your 40s and your parents are in their 70s and you haven't started talking about what's ahead, what your parents want is they grow older. Do they have long-term care insurance? Um, Do they want to stay at home as long as possible? Do they want to go to an assisted living or retirement community? The 4070 rule says if you haven't started having those conversations, you should. And the whole idea behind that is it's important to just open that dialogue early, but also to plan ahead so that if something changes, if there is a health crisis, you already know what your loved one wants or you've already made arrangements for where they need to go. Let's say they, they have a preferred rehab facility mm-hmm. uh, for physical therapy after a fall, for example. Um, you've already determined those things so you're not reacting in a crisis and scrambling and trying to figure out what to do. How, what would, you, how, can, how would you recommend that people have these conversations and approach the topic with sensitivity? Personally, my siblings and I have begun these conversations with my parents, and my mom's a New Yorker. That's all I'm going to say. It's a long time. <laughs> you know, how do you approach that with sensitivity? It's it's it can be awkward to bring up, but I think um, we have a, a wonderful resource guide, if I could just mention that, called Aging and Caring, Things Families Need to Know. And the first part of that book is about having a family conference, a family conversation. And there are tips for how to open those conversations. The important thing is just to start gradually. You don't have to cover everything and have a three-hour long meeting, but you start to open up, you know, mom, have you thought about what you want um, if you want to move somewhere, have you ever thought about a retirement community? Um, have you thought about moving closer to us as you grow older? Gradually, you can you can bring it up, and a lot of people do that when they're together for the holidays, okay. right? You start to notice changes, and it's a perfect opportunity to start to have those conversations. The most important thing we say is don't plan for your loved one, plan with them. Mm-hmm. They need to be able to state their preferences and their desires as long as they're able to do that. And it should be a joint conversation and a joint planning process. Now, when the COVID-19 pandemic hit, there was a lot of news about nursing homes that were really greatly affected by it. What are what were some of the other impacts of the pandemic that really affected long term care that people give to their parents and loved ones? A couple of things that I think really came to light through the pandemic was um, there is a real shortage of workers in long-term care facilities. There's a shortage of workers to deliver home health and in-home care. And so we also do advocacy as a nonprofit. We have become much more active in talking to state leaders about strategies to address the direct care worker shortage. We have to increase Uh, the workers that are available to provide care both in uh, facilities and in the home. Um, At the same time, we need to do more to support family caregivers. So I think that was another thing is suddenly during the pandemic, we realized how vital families are for caring for their loved ones and keeping them safe. Mm -hmm. Now, Deanna, I see you're agreeing. And I want to ask you this about the financial impact that it has on families. You, your parents, again, they live in different homes. And but you also have your own finances mm-hmm. and your own life to look yes. after. How difficult is it for you to manage all three households? 
It's really difficult. And one of the things I wanted to follow up on, I mean, it's very challenging. And what you just said is I wish I had started talking to my mom in particular sooner and talked about some of those financial aspects because, um, and I would just really urge people to try to get involved with their parents' finances at an earlier time because, for example, my mom had long-term care insurance that she paid for for probably 20 years and let it lapse last year. Mm. And it's like we are getting near the time where we could really use that and we don't have it anymore. You know, so I wish I had been more in, more involved, but it's very difficult because I have to, you know, I pay all my father's bills. I take care of everything that he needs, and that's been like that for a long time. I, I'm, I've started to reorganize my mom's finances and started to make sure that all her bills are automated. We have, we've got a few more things to take care of, but that's, it's running through my mind all the time. Is this bill paid for this person? Is this bill paid for this person? Is everything taken care of? I found with my mom this spring that she hadn't paid property taxes on her house. And it's like, oh, mm. you know, so we, anyway, I'm I'm working to raise money for my dad's care by Airbnb being his house. Okay. And so I worked all summer to get his house ready. We just listed it five days ago. And so I'm hoping that that will give us enough money to pay for most of his care. We're just, it, it's a new thing. We'll see how it goes. But we need so much money to pull off the care that he needs. Tell me, how else has being the caregiver for both of your parents, how else has that affected you? Oh, so many ways. Um, I feel like, first of all, I um, I teach songwriting at Vanderbilt. I'm a songwriter. I'm a producer. And I have just an immense amount of joy in doing that creative and musical work. And, uh, and it's, you know, it, it's become, it's, it's become a little bit of a respite in a certain way. Like I haven't been able to do the creative things that I love near as much for literally the last two or three months. And every time I get to write a song, I'm so happy that I'm just like, oh, I get to be myself again for just a little while. Like, oh, this is me doing something I love to do. But I feel like I'm in such a problem solving mode. And it's, really interesting to me that like even when I'm not with my parents my husband and I are talking about them all the time because mm -hmm. it's like even when we're not together well we still have to solve this problem or how are we going to do this or you know just there are always surprising things that come your way you never yeah. anticipated yeah do you have children no okay because I, I, I'm thinking about conversations that parents can have with their kids now you know like mm -hmm. how to prepare ourselves how to get ourselves ready Rebecca you said it, it came up constantly in our conversation of people wait too long. Mm -hmm. We wait too long to take some sort of action. So how can we prepare ourselves to get ourselves ready to not only be able to take care of a parent or a loved one, but potentially plan for someone taking care of us? Mm -hmm. I think just thinking about that financially, um, I do recommend some people talk to like an elder law attorney um, because they're good at um, coming up with a life care plan or uh, talking about the financial or the legal parts that are important for um, care when you're older. Um, but like Grace was saying, I think, you know, just having those conversations little bit by little bit. I've done that with my parents already, um, probably because I'm a social worker. Mm. But I also, my mom has some health problems. So it's like, what are we going to do? Because you're five hours awake. Like, eventually, you're going to need to be closer. So just, you know, maybe not make it such a, a hard conversation in the beginning. Make it more casual. Um, 
you know, where are you financially? I don't know. You know, just having those conversations can be hard, but it's important. Do you have siblings? I do, thankfully. Did you all have you all had these conversations? Mm-hmm. How'd they go? Um, pretty good. I probably not as intense as we should have them, but we've talked about them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thankfully, my brother's in town. Um, my other brother left us and moved to Colorado, but <laughs> <laughs> you have some help here now. You know, just briefly before we go, you know, Grace, you talked about a little bit, uh, but what what can the state do to really help and support primary caregivers to older adults? What can it be doing more of? It's a long list, but there are things that uh, they can start to do, particularly I mentioned addressing the direct care worker shortage. We need to make sure that we're building capacity in our health care and long-term care systems to serve a growing older population. The state did invest $30 million additional dollars in home and community-based services in the past couple of years. That was a positive step forward to allow people to receive services to stay in their homes longer um, as they grow older. So that was a positive step. There are other things that are needed. Uh, Paid family leave. Mm. The majority of caregivers these days are working professionals. So it's really important that both the state model uh, as as a large employer by providing not just parental leave, but family leave. Uh, for their employees. Also, employers need to uh, pay more attention to this because one in five employees are caring for an aging loved one. And we're seeing uh, more employers recognize that this is an area where we need to be offering benefits and assistance to our employees. So we really welcome conversations with employers Uh, to be able to partner and support their caregiving employees. Mm -hmm. I want to thank you all for being on the show and really talking about this very, very important topic that affects us all. My guests were Deanna Walker, caregiver to her parents, Grace Sutherland-Smith, and Rebecca Redd, both with AgeWell Middle Tennessee. Again, thank you so much. And thanks to you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville as a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by LaTanya Turner and Elizabeth Burton. Our senior producer is Steve Harouche. Laura Boach is our technical director, and Magnolia McKay was handling the live tweeting for the day. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special tank thanks to the folks at 50 Forward and the Tennessee Respite Coalition. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville, find us on Instagram, and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody, and be good to each other.